Amen. Your Bible's open to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Thank you, Kathy, for playing for us today. And it's kind of in, it's kind of a, not intimidating, but I'm saying we haven't rehearsed, so we show up this morning. She never met me. She had heard I was a nut, but she, anyway, she, so I appreciate, appreciate her doing that, and uh, she will be helping us a few more times in the days to come. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you're familiar with the passage. We dealt with the passage pretty extensively last Sunday morning. I'm going to pick up with that same theme uh, in, in just a moment, but I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we were talking about this idea of stand. As a matter of fact, in the Scriptures, the passage that Robbie read in, in uh, Ephesians 6, Tom, I put on the whole armor of God. If you do read the entirety of that again, you'll find that three times Paul mentions about taking the armor of God so we can stand. Now, obviously, if you're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 6, these believers had, had an issue because they were, uh, they were out of the will of God. They were suing each other. And so Paul just asked a simple question. Is there not somebody in the church that's mature enough that can stand for the truth and can, and can arbitrate between brothers. And really what he's going to say is, in that situation, why would Christians go to a pagan judge and ask him to make a decision between uh, believers that are not getting along? As a matter of fact, any believer, any believer could arbitrate that better than a pagan judge. Did you hear what it said? Any believer could arbitrate that better because the Spirit of God is in all of us. But for somebody who is mature, Paul uses this idea, is there's not somebody with a standing in the church? I mentioned that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says that deacons, deacons, because of the vetting process and, and the service they provide in the body, have a standing in the church because of their service and leadership in the body. So let me read just the first four verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I won't read all of it. You'll remember some of the stuff we talked about, but I just want to look at that one verse and then we're going to answer some questions. It says, When one of you has a grievance, uh, 1 Corinthians 6 1, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? You know, Jesus, well, I mentioned that last time in Matthew 18, Jesus commanded the same thing. Uh, you take a brother. And if you've been offended, you take a brother and you go talk to the brother that's you've offended you and, and you try to find reconciliation. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? That's new, isn't it? A lot of people don't know that. Uh, Jesus mentions this in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, when the meek shall inherit the earth, those things. Uh, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? As a matter of fact, part of the thousand-year reign, if you're thinking about, okay, when are we going to judge the world? It's during the thousand-year reign when Jesus rules with a rod of iron and the Bible says we rule with Him. We will be judging the world. And what you will be doing for Christ then is based on what you're doing for Christ now. It's not arbitrary. He's not going to toss a coin up and say, okay, what are you going to do? It's based... And He told parables, kingdom parables, where you were given certain... Gifts or certain talents. The word Bible just talents. He gives you talents and then what are you going to do with those talents? And based on what you do with those talents is the inheritance you get. Well, that's what's going to happen in heaven. So it's not just some arbitrary, but you're going to help Him rule the world is what it says. 
And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Uh, we've all experienced some weird divisions in the church. You know, even here, I mean, I've been here long enough to where we've gotten some spats over weird things. You know, color of carpet, and color of kitchen paint, and not really, but sometimes we major on the minor and we have conflicts and somebody gets mad at somebody. And it's really, you know it's true, it's trivial. It's trivial. Even if you're insulted, the Bible says, turn the other cheek, just let it go. But instead, the devil will stir a little jealousy in our hearts and we'll get bitter and then we'll want to retaliate or we'll want to gossip about them to, to try instead of going face to face. Anyway, if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to, to try trivial cases? Do you not know? And that's one of Paul's favorite phrases to the Corinthians. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? That, that's pretty profound. Now, now angels have authority over us. They're much more powerful than us. Uh, and I'm assuming they're still going to be much more powerful than we are in the thousand year reign, even when we get our glorified body. But we're going to have authority. Uh, we certainly have authority over fallen angels. We will. But we will certainly have administrative authority over angels. That's interesting. I mean, you just think about how wonderful it is that in the kingdom that's to come, wonder if you're administrating part of the universe and in your administration of some part of the universe for Jesus, you have a thousand angels that are... I mean, these are things... I mean, it's, it's a world of spiritual that's out there. We just don't know what's going to happen. But angels are also going to be submissive to our leaders. How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you then, why do you lay them before those, and here's the phrase, who have no standing in the church? I used as an illustration last week about one of the first conflicts, one of the first power struggles we had when I came here. And uh, this was when we were still a little country church. Still are a little country church, but this is when we were even smaller and we met in the other building and, and uh, making some changes and somebody out of nowhere decides that he wants to be in control and uh, no, 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 not a deacon, had never served here but never served any church as a deacon, had never been ordained. So he had no, what I'm saying is, who is he? Who is he to question the leadership of a church when he has no standing? So I use that as an example, but do you have a, are you worthy to be asked to solve a situation? Do you have a standing in the church? If, if somebody needs an arbiter between conflicting believers, are you somebody we can trust? Are you somebody that's asking people to hush their gossip? I mean, is, is that the per, are you that kind of person? Are you taking a stand? And really it's asking us about taking the stand just like uh, Ephesians 6 does. Taking a stand for Christ. Are you taking a stand for biblical truth? I think about Paul. Uh, this is sad, but Paul mentions this here in 1 Corinthians. And then, then the 1 Corinthians is an early book. Let's say it's in 56, 55 AD. Well, in 65 AD, he's put in prison and he's going to die. So 10 years later, he's being ex fixed to be executed. 
So in 2 Timothy, that's the last book he wrote, 2 Timothy 4. He, he's, this is his last Roman. He had two Roman imprisonments, okay? First one, he spent a couple of years and they let him go, kind of under house arrest. He wrote a lot of New Testament books while he was there. Second one, he's going to die, okay? He's going to be beheaded. And uh, he knows that towards the end of 2 Timothy. He indicates that. But he says, and say, so he had a political, they had like court sessions, you know, where he would have to appear before a court or a council. He says, now this is the Apostle Paul. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 16, he says, At my first defense, nobody stood with me. Nobody. Now think of all the believers that Paul had witnessed to and had won to Christ. Think about all the guys that had traveled with him. Think about all the places he had made disciples. But he's able to say, 2 Timothy, that at my first defense, when I stood before the Roman court to give a defense, nobody came to defend me. Nobody took a stand. Now, was it fear of death? Yes. Was it fear of persecution? I wasn't there. I may have done the same thing. But nobody in Paul's defense took a stand because of fear, whatever the reasons might be. Folks, that's the world that we're in now. You know, we used to say, uh, you know, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And there, there's, that's a little quip that's cute to use. But there is a lot of truth in that when it comes to our faith. It's time for going back to the little handout I gave you, living in light of eternity. It's time for me and you and this church to take a stand. Now, whether that's helping two brothers get along or whether it's confronting obvious sin or whether it's witnessing to people that are... Whatever it might be, it's time for you and I to take a stand. Uh, I think about... I tell you what, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to... uh, Go to John. Go to John's Gospel. I'm going to take just a second. I've I've got an hour and 15 minutes. Now I got 15 minutes, but go to John, uh, John 19, John chapter 19, and uh, this is interesting to me. Um, John chapter 19. This is a gentleman. If I call his name, you're going to know who he is. His name was Joseph of Arimathea. You ever heard of him? Okay. Now I didn't plan to do this, but. For the next few minutes, I just want to take a a minute and see what Joseph of Arimathea did because Joseph goes, and this we'll read the text. Matter of fact, I did not know until I was cross-referencing Joseph of Arimathea. And by the way, if you do a study on him, uh, you know, the Bible, extra-biblical writings, and not all of them are bad. I mean, some of it's just history. It's not text. It's not inspired Scripture. It's just some, some writings in history. But there's a great history about Joseph of Arimathea and his relationship with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and some of the mission work that they did together. And it's probably pretty accurate. But Joseph of Arimathea, you and I both know what it says about him, about he being a a silent disciple or a secret disciple. But I want to read to you. I'm in uh, John chapter uh, 19. And let's pick up at verse... um, 38. 
It says, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, and people debate where Arimathea was. I mean, there's a lot of Josephs, right? Um, common name in the Jewish world. From Joseph, obviously from the Old Testament. And so, you would you could discern which one you're talking about by where they're from. So, I always use Joseph Arimathea. In Arimathea, eight miles away from Jerusalem. Uh, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for what? For fear of the Jews. Ask Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Now his courage, when you're reading out of John's Gospel, because also John records Nicodemus coming to Christ in John 3, Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about 75 pounds in weight. And obviously they're going to anoint... That's not all they're going to bring. The lady's going to bring more the next day. But they're going to anoint the body of Jesus before He goes in the tomb. Now, go all the way back to Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Again, we're thinking about what it means to take a stand. And, and Joseph of Arimathea is a great example of taking a stand. And what it, what it might cost and what has to happen when we take that stand. Matthew chapter 27. And let's look at verse... Uh, I want to go all the way back to verse 51. 2751. Now... I don't have time to go into all the history of Joseph of Arimathea, but you're going to find out that he's a member of the council. He, he, was, he was either a priest, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, so he was politically connected. We also know that he was very, very, very wealthy. And let me just say this, when you and I go to Israel in, in, in 10 months, you know, we're taking a group to Israel, one of the places we go is a place called the Garden Tomb. And they discovered it 30 or 40 years ago. And it's a, it's a hewn tomb, hewn out of rock in a garden. Because it's called the garden tomb. And there are so many scholars that believe this is the real burial place of Christ. And, and so Joseph was a rich man and he had somebody chisel out a burial place in the side of a rock mountain for him and his family. And he's going to end up giving that to Jesus. It's interesting. So, verse, verse 51, and behold, the, the curtain. By the way, if you're looking at your Bibles, let me show you something that's interesting. It says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, this is when Jesus breathed His last. Right? I didn't read all the scene there, but you know, Jesus breathes His last, and the earthquake and the veil in the temple was rent in two. Now, again... I know, I've known this, but you don't think about this. How did they know it was... Did somebody see it being torn from top to bottom? And the answer would be yes, because Jesus died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the priest... Remember? They were, there were two things they were always doing. Burning incense and keeping the coals burning on the altar. Because there was always sacrifices every day. 
morning and evening. And on, and on holy days, twice in the morning, twice at night. Well, at 3 o'clock when Jesus breathed His last in the bell, there would have been a priest at the, in the holy place, not the holy of holies, but in the holy place, burning incense at the table of incense right before the curtain. He would have seen it being torn from top to bottom. So that's one way. And let me get, if he, was a, if he was a priest, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, and he would have known Joseph of Arimathea. So that's one reason why we know Joseph of Arimathea knew about this veil. Also, that's how we know John knew. Let's read on. And it says, Behold, the, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after His resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Remember? So the tombs are open when He dies, right? Yep, we've talked about this. How consistent and accurate the Scriptures are. The tombs are split open at the death. But they don't come out of the tomb until what? Until Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. Because He's the first. Right? He's the first. And then He's the first fruits of many who come. And so somehow or another in God's providence, some other Jewish saints were resurrected from the dead and showed themselves alive when Christ was resurrected. Just to, most people have even, don't even realize that's in the text in Matthew. But just a testimony of the power of the resurrection. When the centurion... And those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, True, this was the Son of God. There was also many women looking there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea. Now we're grateful for Matthew because Matthew tells us he, he was a rich man. So there was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. By the way, that word ask, I'm going to tell you two things about it. Sometimes when you go, now this is Joseph of Arimathea, who's a member of the Sanhedrin, but he's going to a Roman governor. Sometimes when we ask, uh, we ask somebody who's our superior. And there's one way we might ask a superior for permission. There's another way that we would ask a contemporary, right? So the word used here, Joseph of Arimathea didn't approach Pilate as a superior. He approached him as an equal. And Mark uses a word that is the word beseeched with aggression. He just didn't ask for the body of Jesus. See, Jesus has got to get off. I just want you to see how here's a secret disciple. Now he's at the, he's at the, wrong, the guy that just had Jesus crucified for no legal reason. Joseph, a Jewish religious leader, is before Pilate and he's aggressively Literally, demanding the body of Jesus. Also, Mark indicates that when... I won't read Mark for the sake of time because we're almost out. When, when he asks for the... or demands the body of Jesus, Mark says 
that Pilate literally, and, and we've already read once in John, it said he literally, when he says he gave him the body, usually you would have to be, it was a bribe. Because he could say, okay, for a thousand pence, I'll let you take his body down. But Mark indicates that, he, that Pilate literally freely gave him the body. So let me just stop here and just think with me. We won't, can't go any further, but about, but I was thinking about taking a stand. And this is the same reason you and I are going to take a stand. Same one, reason Joseph did. What changed Joseph of Arimathea? Now all along, he was sympathetic to Jesus. Well, he was. There's, there's good indication they brought a bunch of false witnesses. I don't know if you've ever read, you know, the, the legal proceedings took a long time because they kept trying to find witnesses to testify against Jesus. And, and finally, there was two people that said he claimed to, that he was going to tear down the temple and build it back. He was talking about his body. They misquoted him, but, but that's what they convicted him on, that he was going to destroy the temple. I mean, he was talking about his body, and they knew that, but that's what they used. But they had a bunch of witnesses before that, and there's a good chance that Joseph of Arimathea kept questioning people who because they had to come before the Sanhedrin to make the case, and they couldn't make it. Anyway, make a long story short, what, what did Joseph of Arimathea see that changed him from a secret disciple so he wouldn't say anything publicly? And I'm sure all the other Sanhedrin members didn't know. They knew now, didn't they? They, they knew now. Did it matter? No, it didn't matter. Who knows about you? Other than you getting up on Sunday morning sometimes and coming to church. I don't mean that ugly. But what do your neighbors know about you? How about your co-workers? You might not cuss. You might not tell the dirty jokes they tell. But, but do they know that you know the Son of God? You see... So he was a secret disciple. So I'm asking you what changed him. And here's, I don't know this for sure, but I'm going to tell you one thing. Two things I believe. Number one, I think he had heard about the veil in the temple being twain from top to bottom. That's the Bible word, King James, twain and two. Do you, do you know that, that veil? It took 300 priests to carry it. That's how heavy it was. 300. And it was the, it was the width of a man's hand, seven or eight inches thick. That veil was split top to bottom. I think Joseph heard about that. I think Joseph obviously felt the earthquake. Right? But you may tell you the greatest thing that Joseph saw. He saw Jesus die for his sin. Do you know what's going to make you stand? Do you know why you should stand? Why? You can answer that. Because Jesus died for your sins. What else is there? Folks, I've sinned enough today to send all of us to hell. You have too. Isn't it time in this evil world that hates my Jesus and your Jesus? Let's quit playing games. Let's take a stand. Let's live in light of eternity. Amen? Let's stand for prayer. Thank you. Father, we love You and thank You for Your grace and mercy. And It's not easy.
Lord, it's not easy living by faith. and It's not easy. It's not meant to be easy being an alien in this world. Lord, but You've called us to be soldiers. You've called us to be farmers and athletes. You've called us to be faithful stewards. So God, I, I pray that the events of the substitutionary death of Christ would so stir our hearts that You would see the difference in our attendance and our sacrificial giving in our verbal witness, in the lives that we lead, we would live like Jesus because Jesus died for our sins. Father, help us to take a stand. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. We shall see you Wednesday night. Hope you have a great afternoon.